Statistics on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward. Here's the pass. Antonio's through. Chance to fall. What a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown podcast. I am joined as ever by these two excited young lads. They've been up since the crack of dawn looking for snow. We all remember what it's like at that age, don't we? Before you grow up and realise it just gets in the way. Uh, Jack Callum, how are we? Not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, I'm decent, mate. Not too shabby. Not too bad, considering then. Uh, this week, we will be looking at, of course, that Manchester City defeat, uh, the European dominance, a look ahead to Brighton and Chelsea, and a little bit of transfer talk as those uh, rumours heat up, I suppose. A quick word of thanks for those sending in support and comment recently. Korea Hammer on the forum is enjoying our longer podcast, which is great because now if Jack moans about the edit, I can tell him he's letting the fan base down. Um, he does think Soufal should be starting over Johnson, though, an opinion that is probably gathering some steam at the moment. Could could not matter anyway with that Cresswell knock. They might well both be on the pitch next time out. If you too would like an email or a comment read out by me on the podcast, I know, incredible. Uh, the email address, we've got a new email address, actually, a Knees Up Mother Brown specific one, which is, oh, that just shows the quality we're producing here, really, that we get our own email address. Now, that is podcast at kumb.com. As ever, the forum, Fred, uh, at kumb.com in the forum. And you can even tweet the boss on Twitter, kumb.com. All words, no punctuation, and he will pass that on. Uh, it's a 2-1 defeat today, then, away at City in the snow. Um, it was interesting, straight from the team sheet, really, wasn't it? Maswaku, an interesting choice. How do you think that worked today, Jack? I was a surprise. I was surprised that he got included ahead of Bowen. Um, I mean, we, we just spoke about the um, post-match press conference from Moyes, where he spoke about the crossing from City being an issue and needing to have an extra body to be able to deal with um, their wide players hitting the box uh, from crosses and something to do with uh, them having a really high volume compared to other teams in the league and also wanting a left footer on the left. I kind of understand all of those reasons um, to bring Masuaku in and also um, up until the sort of last five minutes of his performance against Rapid Vienna he was really good um, so it provided a little bit of evidence to say um, he's ready but um, yeah it's one of those things where on paper it might make sense but in practice it didn't work and we've seen that before with Moyes in terms of the 3-4-3 a th- a th- a th- decisions um, where again it looks nice on paper but doesn't really work in practice and uh, yeah Masuaku hasn't done anything really since he came back from his knee injury to prove that he's ready to play against the team um, of this kind of level and again um showed his kind of defensive frailty even though he's been included really to 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 watch runs um and to stop uh wide overloads that's exactly where the first goal came from so you've got to say it completely backfired well, before i go kind of criticism he does deserve a little bit of credit first half he was good deep, all right on the ball put that very dangerous cross in early on callum as well he had his little moments to begin with anyway yeah i think that's pretty much a summary of his general performances when we do see him that's kind of the player he is he has his moments but moments probably probably aren't enough really in this team like we need someone that can have 90 minutes uh or however long they're on the pitch and, and create chaos and defend well uh, and that's that's just not him unfortunately um his passing was yeah like you say it was all right his his dribbling was a bit loose today usually that's the one thing that kind of stand out to him he's like he's we've come to know him as someone who can take on his man pretty confidently and um 
that's kind of why you play him further up out on the wing and he didn't even really do that to go affect today, I didn't think. So, um, yeah, I agree with Jack. Just uh, understand why he went for it, but I just don't think it worked. Um, hopefully I don't see it again. He's not really a Moyes player, is he, when you sort of look at it? Not post-knee injury anyway. I mean, it's sort of similar to Yarmolenko. You look at the two of them and say they both have really outstanding moments uh, within games, but they also have really terrible lapses in concentration as well. Um, and one of the sort of hallmarks of, of Moyes' teams, and, and, and definitely since he came back to us, is like this like super high level of concentration throughout the whole match, uh, complete uh, commitment and diligence in terms of the role that you've been given by the manager. And I just don't think you get that from from either of them. And it's, I think, you know, you can be positive about some of the things he did in the first half. There were some really um, likeable uh, moments from Masuaku. But if the main reason he's been put in is to stop Maras from being able to sit wide and, and impact the game when the, when the ball's on the other side of the pitch and to stop a switch from being really effective, you have to say he completely failed in, with the task that he was sent out to do. I mean, certainly that's, that, that, I mean, I, I, you, know, you don't want one moment to change the game, but it looked like to me the one, the one time he really, really didn't do that was the goal, and it was really obvious. And it was, it, it, if you, if it wasn't obvious from watching where the ball went and where the player was, it's very obvious from watching Cresswell's reaction, because he turns and looks to see where Maswaku is. He look and he's 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 angry, and he's had to be stretched out, which affects his defending. I mean, it's a little bit back to those days where he used to get isolated on his own and was a kind of criticised as a defender, but actually without support. There's nothing that he can do. Is is that a role that Bowen couldn't have done, Callum? I don't. He's left-footed. He's diligent generally. Yeah, um, I think before, like we've said before the game, it probably does make sense to to play Maswaku for the reasons that he's given. But it's not worked, and we saw how the performance panned out. And I do, I do think Bowen could have done that job because he he could have definitely had a similar, if not better, performance in that role because the stuff that Maswaku actually did do. Bowen could have done and better and provided more in terms of going forward and stuff, which is somewhere where we really lacked uh, today. Like we didn't create barely any chances. Um, so, yeah, I think looking back, I would be surprised if Moyes doesn't think, oh, maybe what if, what if I'd have done that? Or, um... I would wonder whether that, does that come from the Wolves game, do you think, Jack, where we, I mean, because usually Fournells is over there and kind of used as a support for Cresswell anyway. Fournells was poor against Wolves, Bowen hardly involved. Do you think he's reacted to that? Uh, I think in part he's reacted to that, but then that comes around to the question of the change of shape and, and moving to this 4-4-1-1 system rather than a 3-4-3 and, and the reasons to have four nails on the right rather than on the left. and or, or Basically the entire rationale that then builds towards playing uh, Masuaku, which again, like I said, makes sense on paper. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure it's just a reaction kind of thing of saying that the attackers aren't playing well, so I'm going to rotate because that's going to prove a point to them in some way. I think he's quite good at, at man managing yeah. outside of games rather than rather than dropping people to make a, make his point. What, what I would mean is more, do you think that's together? He's thought, well, we, we struggled and we're going to play a team that's going to be even better maybe in wide areas. I need to do something. I think there's a, we've, we've, we've run into a string of games where he wants to be able to have the flexibility to drop into a low block 5-4-1 when needed. And he's trying to find a way to play someone on the left that allows Cresswell to, to filter in to, to be a third centre-half. And everything he's tried so far isn't working. Um, so I can understand why you then try Masuaku, but again, it's not worked. And maybe it, it, it raises the question of, do we, do we just abandon that idea and focus on what we do well and, and allow people like Bowen and Fornals to do the jobs that they have done for such a long time for us and worry slightly less about um, 
what the opponent offers and, and worry a little bit more about how we're going to create chances. I was going to say, Caleb, do you think there's a reason why more against Liverpool we seem to do more of what we usually do, even if it was a defensive counter-attacking approach? But City, City, we haven't. We have really changed. I guess that's disappointing. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really know. I obviously, obviously, they play in very different different ways, so it's just, it goes without saying that you'd set up differently. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily a case of like I saw a few people on Twitter saying, "Oh, we paid them too much respect and stuff." I don't think that's it. Like it was, it wasn't a we got we were scared out there and we didn't want to give it to them. It was just a a, role, a gamble that hasn't really paid off. And I think before the game, it makes sense. Uh, at face value to to play like you say drop into a five at the back in a lower block um it's more defensively sound generally but it's only more defensively sound if you can execute it which is why i'm in favor of basically abandoning it because if if we're trying to do something and it's it's not effective then it's, it's basically rendered pointless it's, it becomes damaging so and if if you if you're going to try and do something just for the sake of doing it and it's not working when you could just do what you're good at and it might not, it still might not work. At least you've tried and you might have a better chance of succeeding by playing the standard 4-2-3-1 or variation of that four at the back system. The issue is, is it's obvious that the personnel is not there. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the system I get, I understand why the, for 10 players on the pitch, it makes sense. But there's just the 11th player to do that job isn't there. Fornells yeah. has tried it. It hasn't worked. Masuaku's now tried it. That doesn't work either. You know, if you want to carry on doing this, maybe wait until January when you can buy a left wing back. Because, yeah. because that's what we need. I wonder whether Bowen will get a go. I mean, the shape. So we, we mentioned the shape, and the shape was interesting because it was kind of a five at the back without the ball. Was it four four one one with the ball, Jack? Um, it was a very defined four four one one. It's very slightly different to a four two three one. You're less kind of looking at the the inside forwards and sort of and your your wingers becoming tens on the ball um, and more looking at a much more defined structured way of building up um, towards the final third. Uh, and also for large stretches was a 4-4-1-1 defensively as well. You're only really looking at a 5-4-1 uh, and it barely ever became that because uh, Ben Rama was very focused on sticking to Rodri. So it actually often looked like a 5-3 with no left winger uh, and then two up front um, when you're dropping into the sort of low block thing. And that is only uh, in the situation where Cresswell has to go with uh, one of like, I don't know who it was playing on the right. I can't actually remember Bernardo Silva or Gundogan when they hit the box to be the extra man from, from across Cresswell then filters in and Masuaku drops out and to, to stay with the winger. So it just allows you to have that um, balance of numbers to try and stop all the goals that City score by these kind of like, um, out to win crosses that, that that come towards the back post, which we did stop. To be fair, the, the only issue is is that again, uh, it, it it meant that we had no protection against low cutbacks to the edge of the box, um, which uh, proved uh, to be a, a pretty significant problem again in this game. Not only that, but also is that technique of put sitting back deeper? Does that cause the first goal because everyone's sitting in front of the goal? So if the ball just falls to Gundogan as it does, he doesn't have to do anything because we've we haven't made it hard because we've all gone in that deep back line. Yeah, precisely that. I mean, that's exactly how we're coached to defend. It's why we're so good at at defending against a lot of teams in the league, because that's what a lot of teams look to try and do. I mean, uh, 
I had Carton Cole on Thursday night talking about the, the POMO uh, that you know, mm-hmm. Sam Allardyce talks about. And a lot of teams look to hit those areas. And we're very, very good at defending in those areas. But we are extremely vulnerable to defend, uh, defending against balls that come to the edge of the box and quite reliant on the keeper pulling off excellent saves when, when those balls come back in. And, um, and when people place their shots well, like they did today, there's nothing you can do about it. You've got no answer. Before we move on, I just, Pomo isn't postmodernist art in this game. This example, <laughs> it's, it's no, position of oh, no. it's optimum. It's an optimum danger figure, isn't it? Position of maximum opportunity. Yeah, they guess maximum so. opportunity. That does. God, that's very Allardyce, isn't it? it is, yeah. <laughs> if he's going to do statistics, it's going to be in a way which he could do percentages in defending. He's not going to do anything yeah. progressive. Um, I wish it was also worth mentioning that we, we we rely on a goalkeeper having a very good performance. I thought, other than kicking personally that Fabianski did have a really good performance in goal against O'Callum. Yeah, yeah, agree. Um yeah, I think you rightly picked up on the kicking. It was it was noticeably worse than usual. Um I think maybe the weather could play some role in that, but I don't it's not one of those where you want to let them off the hook. But I think whatever stream I was watching, I think it was on like Dazen or Dazon, Dazon, not Dazen. Yeah, I now know that it's apparently called Dazon. Um but they was they blamed it on the snow. So I'm I'm happy to let him off the hook um a little bit. But yeah, shot stopping wise, he was very quick off his line today, which was impressive. Um I think he's been a lot better at that recently, actually. It's a bit of a trend. Um, that was one thing I used to criticise him for is that he wasn't a very proactive keeper. He, he was very much like a, a goalkeeper, not a sweeperkeeper. He stays on his line and keeps the ball out of the net. Um, his, yeah, yeah. His decision-making has been great um, in recent games. There was one, he was fuming at the line where he absolutely yes. steamed off his line, um, managed to clear the ball, but then it was offside anyway, which um, he was annoyed about. But again, still, still a good... Um, Good litmus test. That's not the right term, but you know what I mean. Uh, it, it bodes well that he's still doing it regardless. Uh, yeah, yeah, tangible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. I think he has improved. Whether that's having a goalkeeper, whether that's it, uh, threatening him or whether that's just slightly changing style. I didn't think we played as desperately deep today all the time as we have in recent years against City. I think there were times we were forced, no. but it didn't look like we were doing it because we had, we wanted to. There were times where we did just have that maybe five, 10 yards. It's not always huge, but it is a big deal in a 40, 50 yard space, I guess. No, absolutely. I don't think, you know, it wasn't a, a pure rear guard effort. Um, it, well, it wasn't, you know, in years gone by, I, I remember games where we've gone up there, literally just set up five, four, one from the start and just, hung on to a 1-0 loss, basically. Um, uh, and, and Moyes actually talked about one of his greatest achievements as West Ham manager being when he came back the second time. I think we lost 1-0 up there and he was like, you know, we really desperately needed to to um, not destroy our own goal difference. And the entire aim of, of going there was to lose, but but not to lose badly. Um, you know, so uh, we've done that in the past. It definitely wasn't that this time. It was, you know, we, we were much more committed to trying to create opportunities. I don't think you can say purely because we didn't create loads of opportunities that that wasn't part of the plan. I think actually it was the deficiencies of our um, players in forward areas today that let us down massively. Those, on that, on that. Now, Callum Antonio today, aside from that good pass into Ben Rama's feet, there was a little bit unlucky that it, just, it was too close to his feet. I think I'll, I'll, I'll let him off because it was a really good pass. And turning each, nearly each defender he turned to get wiped out. Not great otherwise, was he? No, he, yeah, it was not nice to watch today. Um, uh, there's not much more to say. I think we, we yeah, we did pummel him. It's just tiring when when he, he's so fundamental to how how we play. Like he is our 
our number nine, whatever you want to say. And when he does have an off day, the whole attack suffers as a result. Um, and today was one of those days. He just did not look involved at all. Uh, and when he was involved, it was usually doing something bad, uh, losing the ball. I think eight possession losses um, in the game today, which is just not not good enough, really. Uh, five of which were unsuccessful touches, which is something that I'm less surprised by because his touch has never really been uh, <laughs> particularly finessed. Um, but yeah, uh, all round bad performance. Um, and I don't know, he's not... He's on a bit of a dry spell, isn't he? It's not great. He is. He is I think, but I, I, we we did we did Antonio last week, so I'll let him off this week. But possession wise, where the surprise was probably Ben Rama, Jack, who was again very diligent in his defensive work and his running and on Rodri, but his use of the ball not really good. Was it sixty six pass success? Something yeah. like that. Um, I, there's there's two things to say, and it doesn't help Ben Rama when Antonio is not the ball's not sticking with Antonio, mm-hmm. and you and you do have to say that it'd, it'd be harsh to just attack a number 10 when the striker's not um, looking after possession every time it comes into his feet. Um, but when you play that system, 4-4-1-1, which we did really successfully for a long stretch of last season, you need a really sharp, accurate, incisive player in the in the 10 position who can look after the opposition six, can press diligently, but also when they get the ball, one and two touch can really impact the game. And I've Got to say, I don't think Ben Rama's that player. Um, and I think you're seeing some of the reasons why he didn't play very much last season. And we questioned, I know a lot of people questioned what is last season for him not playing. But when you're playing that 4 one one system, which we did a lot last season, I just don't think it works for him at all. He's just not quite quick enough at making his decisions. And then when he does um, make a decision, he's not accurate enough either. Um He's got fantastic uh, skill in his locker, but he needs a little bit more space and the and the numbers around him that a four two three one gives you. Uh, when you when you've just you've got to um, look after the ball for a couple of seconds longer in a four four one one, or take on your man a little bit quicker and create some space on your own. I just I just don't think he's got that in his locker, and we really it was really obvious that we missed Jesse Lingard today because if we'd had Jesse Lingard in that system, you can imagine just how much more fluent the counter-attacks would have been. Yeah, I think there was one, a perfect example was there was a break on on the halfway line and he could have held the ball, he could have moved forward and he tried a sharp pass back to Fornells whilst Fornells, I think, was bursting forward. And it was just a moment where he doesn't care. I suppose what he wants to do, he looks like sometimes he wants to be quite decisive and wants to all burst action. He doesn't really care for the ball. He's not, whereas Lanzini almost the opposite in that respect, sometimes doesn't maybe act to counter-attack fast enough, which might affect us if he comes in. But he, he, his priority is de- generally keeping the ball. I mean, are we are we at a point, Callum, where we really should be looking at Lanzini in for Ben Rama? I think so, yeah. I've, he's been in great form. He's, he's definitely earned it, uh, I think. And for the reasons that we're saying Ben Rama doesn't work in that system, um, if we're going to carry on playing that, I think Lanzini's probably the next best option because Lingard's not here. <laughs> uh, but today, like in the short cameo Lanzini had, he managed 94% pass accuracy uh, and that's more accurate passes than Ben Rama had, despite him being on the pitch for twice as long. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of keeping possession, not losing the ball, Lanzini's shown that he's pretty good at that. Um, perhaps doesn't have the um, burst of pace or maybe isn't as as competent at carrying the ball up the pitch as Ben Rama is. He's not a dribbler. He's not that natural flair player. He's not pacey, but it, 
it's a it's a game of um you got to weigh up what's more important isn't it do you want to make sure you keep possession but maybe take a tiny bit longer to get it up the pitch or do you want to risk losing the ball fairly frequently but knowing that you can carry it up the pitch sometimes if better is on a good day kind of thing i i think you've got to look at it more as if you're going to play a 4-2-3-1 basically if you're going to have three uh, midfielders who are going to be much closer together then it's a choice between Lanzini and Ben Rama and at the moment I think Lanzini is earning that spot ahead of Ben Rama I think mm-hmm. if you're looking at it as a 4-4-1-1 I think Vlasic was bought to be that guy and yeah. I know he's not in in the best form at the moment or hasn't really um Maybe maybe hasn't had the chance to, to to show his best form yet, but hasn't really impacted games when he's come on in the Premier League. Maybe if you're going to play that system, maybe you play Blasic anyway because he's the guy who's got the right skill set to be able to do the job that to do a similar job at least to what to the job that Lingard did for us um, last season. I don't really think Lanzini's the player. I think you saw Lanzini became quite impactful on the game today um, when we moved back to a four-two-three-one and. Bowen came on and then it's more about um, having sustained periods of pressure around City's box I mean that's what where the goal comes from and that's where we had quite frankly a, a quite positive last 10 minutes minus the the City goal I think we were quite good in that period of the game I think you know Lanzini was a really key part of that but I can't really imagine Lanzini having the necessary dynamism to drive us up the pitch in a sort of lower block flat lines 4-4-1-1 um, that we did play for most of the game today wonder whether it's, it'll, it's it, the, the thing that he would do is because he's he's going to keep the ball better and he's going to help our defense keep pressure off our defense which should allow more from Bowen and four nows as well so whether they can then do the dynamism that he's not being able to offer Lanzini I, I disagree I think then you play a four five one and you commit to having three midfielders and you play a flat line with Lanzini as part of that I mean that's probably that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be against that with the way I suppose the problem moment is is looking at the, the weaknesses Antonio not playing well and Ben Rama almost is going to be sacrificed based on Antonio not playing particularly well and us not having a an option to replace him although I, I, I guess you could argue you play you could play Ben Rama on the left and play Bowen up front and play Lanzini but I would be very shocked if we if we were to do that. As would I. <laughs> in, yeah. in um, talking of Bowen, obviously it was a shock not to see him today. Um, the substitutions as well. You, I know you wanted to talk about the substitutions today and how they were used. Um, I guess the fullbacks is a quick one, Jack. Yeah, well, the fullbacks thing is interesting, isn't it? Just on the basis of the fact that Soufal comes on and plays at left-back rather than coming on at right-back and Johnson is shifting across. I think that comes as a bit of a surprise to everyone. I understood it to begin with. But once we went to a 4-2-3-1 with Bowen on the pitch, I didn't understand why Soufal then didn't come across to the right because you've got Bowen who always wants to come inside off the flank and dribble the ball into central areas. And Johnson, he's great. I love him. But he hasn't got the engine to get up and time his runs beyond Bowen and then get back. So he's quite reluctant to go and make these sort of long uh, busting runs down the right flank, whereas Soufal will just do it all game um, and is quite happy to do it. And it offers... um, more space to for Bowen to be able to do what he does really well. Um, so it's it seemed odd to me anyway that once we went to the four two three one, which was very late in the game, I must admit. But once we went to that system where we were playing quite well, that we stuck with Johnson on the right and Soufal on the left. And it'll be interesting to see, I mean, if Cresswell, I don't know whether Cresswell will make it back fit for Wednesday. I imagine it looked like a pretty heavy knock, so I can see him getting rested. Whether then Johnson will move across to the left and, and Soufal will play 
on the right. Before we move on and we'll go on to the European game, I do want to ask Callum on there's another option. I don't think Suchik was particularly sharp today, and we're going to play a game in a Wednesday against a team who are very good in possession. It's Wednesday, isn't it, Brighton? Yes, yeah. yeah. Wednesday with Brighton, and then the Chelsea, who are dominant. Is there a point where Lanzini comes in for Suchek, which helps us protect the ball better, maybe helps Ben Rama as well? Uh, it, it'd be quite exciting. Um, I think you sacrifice a lot of. Uh, defensive stability if you take Suchek out, which Lanzini doesn't offer. Uh, it'd be much more progressive, but I think Suchek does such a good job in his role that kind of goes unnoticed um, and definitely doesn't get the credit he deserves um, from a lot of the fan base because it's it's sort of non... Um, it's not exciting. Like His positioning on the pitch, knowing where to be um, when the opposition win possession and making sure he's there to break up play and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I can't see it happening. I, it would be interesting to see because it would be a whole different balance to the midfield. Um, but I just don't think Moyes, Moyes does that. Um, I, I think the, he brings Noble or Kral in before that, maybe. Although he doesn't really seem to like Kral. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, don't you bring Lanzini in in, uh, in terms of bringing Lanzini in as an option for Suchek? If you're playing against a team who play very flat lines, if you're playing against a team who like to play through you and get the ball wide and commit these, I mean, they have this lovely thing with the three midfielders that can all kind of move mm-hmm. around each other. And I, I don't know who it was most recently, the three that they're combining, but you've got Gross, Basuma and uh, Murdo, who's playing quite well this season, and they can all kind of yeah. interchange. And I think if we've got a very kind of defined uh, pivot in there where one can defend and one can't. I, I can't really see how you deal with that. Uh, whereas if you're playing a Burnley type system where that's very flat lines, then I can see it. I can see why you do it. I can't see why you you do that kind of thing against Brighton. My concern is more that it's not off the ball. Sorry, it's sorry. It's, it's an on the ball thing. Whereas I don't feel like we're keeping possession. I, I mean, I because I, I, I mean I don't think it's been fair on Suchek this year. He's been getting criticised as having a poor season when actually he's just not having a goal scoring season. And the yeah. team has changed. It's a different thing. And I'm I'm not critical of him there. I think his defensive work is good. I just think there's times when we're struggling to get hold of the ball. I feel like our coolness is gone because they try and do things too quickly. And Suchek in particular is not good at fast passing or anything where he has to get his feet arranged quickly. And I just wonder whether it helps a struggling Antonio, a struggling maybe Ben Rama, a team that is, doesn't, not for, for the last two games, hasn't looked particularly fluent keeping the ball, to have someone who is just excellent at being an option in keeping the ball, really. For me, I think you're addressing an issue that exists in the defence by changing the midfield, and I don't think that's uh, sensible. I don't think that really is... a is approaching the core of the problem, which is the fact that we don't have a comfortable left throw on the left side to build on the left. And we don't have Sufal bombing on, on the right and always making himself available as an option to Suchek so that when he's unsure, he's got someone to pass to straight away. Johnson's great. I think it's harsher to say you, you play Sufal just because it puts, you know, allows Suchek to play with this nice warm blanket over him for the whole game. Mm-hmm. But the, the main issue in terms of construction and us keeping the ball is the left foot or on the left side of the of the back four. That's the main problem. While, while we can't fix it, though, we probably need to do something, I guess. Absolutely. But I don't, I, like I said, I think that's looking at defence and structure and how you, how you build, not personnel. I don't think what you do is change yeah. 
the players playing in the midfield because I don't think that makes a blind bit of difference. I think you put Noble, Kral, Suchek, Lanzini, Fornells, anyone in there, and the same problem is going to exist because it doesn't really matter who's playing in that role. They're always going to have very little time on the ball because we're not able to progress down the left as quickly as we used to be able to. Therefore, we're funneling the ball right very quickly. Everyone's under pressure and then suddenly the central midfielder has to pick up the ball and has to turn and play a pass within you know, an instant that gets us through uh, through the press quickly because there's just not the same progressive ability on the, on the right side defensively. I mean, look at Dawson and Johnson. I, I, I like them both, but they've not got the same ability to ping passes into into the, the front four. Um, yeah. No, I agree. I think, I think yeah, the, it, yeah, you, you've nailed it there. It's spot on. I think the only thing you maybe would do rather than changing dropping Suchek and playing Lanzini and Rice is like Jack said earlier you, you bring it into a 4-5-1 and you invite Lanzini into the midfield but not not over Suchek it's play them together because the three of them then then there becomes uh, less space in terms of people in the middle but more space in the sense that they can all sort of interchange and dip about and Lanzini is one thing he's really good at is finding the little holes uh, on the pitch and yeah I think it'd be good to see that particularly one thing we've struggled with is breaking down teams that play in blocks. Uh, we don't seem to have that person in like Rice obviously has an eye for a pass, but we have struggled to break down sort of um, through the middle and, and inviting Lanzini into there. Um, who's a bit more of a playmaker type would, would be interesting and, and possibly is something we might see coming. So for what we talked about, what we didn't do particularly right or what didn't go well in there, we did defend quite well. And there was a shape and an organization to how we managed city in the game, Jack, that worked. Yeah, I think I think if there is something that we deserve a lot of credit for is is how well we limited them throughout the game, uh, particularly in the second half. There were there were actually quite nice stretches of the second half where we looked quite comfortable um, against them, and they're an exceptionally good football uh, team. And I think the fact that we were able to limit them um, for such long stretches is, is a real. Uh, positive and uh, the two centre-backs deserve credit for for the way they defended from crosses from the proactive defending against um, midfielders uh, or the the front three but it's all they're all I kind of look at them all like midfielders really at at City dropping um, deeper and going with and not allowing um, people to turn I think all of that was quite nice so defensive structure whilst there's this issue of low cutbacks which is long-standing and I know it's more structural about how we choose to defend individually the defenders were really um, quite good um, I, mean, I suppose I know I'm going to put Cal down as the leader of the Diop in Dawson out debate nah. Dawson's performance in general today working against those kind of high class players yeah I thought he was I didn't think he was exceptional but I don't think he did anything wrong either which is kind of what you want from your centre-backs we've said before like there's certain positions on the pitch where you want people to stand out because they're doing loads of really exciting stuff and defenders you kind of just don't want them to stand out because usually it's because they've done something terrible that's led to a goal Uh, and that didn't really happen today and yeah I mean yeah like I've said before I'm I'm pro Diop at left-sided centre-back so that Zuma can play at right-sided centre-back in his more natural position but today uh, they looked assured against probably one of the best teams in the world (laughs) like undoubtedly one of and we only can like I think to put it into context we only allowed, I think, three more shots than PSG did against City in the week. Like, they're a formidable beast. Like, there's, there's, there's no hiding that. Like, they're a ridiculously good team. And I think we did as well as we probably could have done against them. And you can really see their purring at the moment. You can just see from the way they move the ball and the speed of everything. Yeah, I, I, we've seen City earlier this season when they're not at their best. And this is City functioning really, really well at the moment. And yeah, like we've said about the individual performances, you don't really want to notice centre-backs. There weren't any key mistakes, which is a real 
uh, plus. And then also the last line defending was great. I mean, the, the clearances off the line from Cresswell and Johnson, the times yeah. they did get through us, people really, really working hard to be able to be switched on and 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 get in the way and and um, and stop such, several situations that look like certain goals. So yeah, I think huge credit to the back four unit um, today. And before we end, we should mention that was a lovely, lovely goal. It's not not much to analyse and look at with the Lanzini goal, but at least he's added he's added goals to his game. If he is going to sit in, he up only scores bangers, right? I mean, that's only what he does. Scores, <laughs> they, they have to touch the touch the post of the bar as well. It's just he's he's a highlight reel end of the season player. Um, but on on to Europe, and, and you know this means nothing to me. Oh, it's Vienna we're going to talk about. Are you, are you two even old enough to get that reference I've just made? No, no, no brilliant. No. It's a really famous song. Oh, it's wait, fun. wait, wait. It means nothing to me. But, Yay! Um, okay, you're, you're a little bit older. You're, yeah, you're at least got older, that. So you do know yeah, it's a banger. That is, thank you, because that was a great joke and it really didn't land how it deserved it. <laughs> um, European, European dominance, and we are, that is the top of the group confirmed. It's, 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 hard, it's hard to analyse too much because they were awful, really, weren't they, Callum? Oh yeah, they were terrible. They were they were terrible. Um, yeah, hence there's not much in terms of takeaways. Um, well, I'm sure there's plenty of takeaways in Vienna, but from the game, um, the yeah, it, yeah, that was that was. I'll leave, I'll leave, I'll leave the jokes to you, Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, terrible. But sometimes it's just nice to watch us play against the crap team because it's fun. <laughs> that's 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 it. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. certainly. I think it was maybe the best Yarmolenko has played for us in, in ever in my mind. I He's some, such a some... funny player, though. I mean, it's like what I said about Masuaku, right? It's just like general mm-hmm. players, just so bloody frustrating. And then it's just, full, and, but in that game, it was brilliant because it was like five or six moments that were just oh, yeah. fantastic. What, what I love about Yarmolenko is I think he goes into those European games and and just goes, "I'm better than these players." Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. like yeah. everyone else just plays a normal game, and he just kind of goes, "Oh, I'm." I'm great. I've, I've, it's almost like he goes, I need to, I need to show the teams in Europe that I'm going to try and go to it at the end of the season, that I'm good against this level of opponent. Because he created chances for, like, put four nows in, he put Suchek in, scored the header, won the, although we're winning a penalty where you're standing and someone decides they're going to just run as fast <laughs> as they can into you. I don't know if that counts as winning a penalty. But yeah, he was, he was to me the standard. You gave Noble nine out of 10 as your man of the match, didn't you, Jack? I did. I did. I thought Noble was quality. It, I was, it was so lovely to watch. I, and look, you have to accept that with Noble at the age he's at now and with the engine he's got now, you need to be playing against an opposition that bad for him to be able to be as good as he was because basically no one was running beyond him for the whole game. Um, but yeah, because of that, he was just able to sit and spray balls around for the whole game. And it if there's something he does well, he does do that really, yeah. really well. He's good at it. He's really good at, at picking out opponents, making forward runs and playing lovely line-breaking passes, switching the, the play. It was just great. The tempo control is just wonderful. And and he was doing such a good job that you could hear Moyes throughout the whole game shouting, Suchet, get up, get up. He just don't need you back <laughs> here. He's doing it all on his own. Like We don't need someone else to help in construction because Nobles is having an absolute stormer back there. <laughs> It was very nice to see him get a penalty in a stoppage time period and score it as well. And also not <laughs> celebrate. And also just be like, yeah, no, I just yeah. know I'm the yeah, best. No, that's, that. that's my job. Yeah. And it's good that he's got himself a goal this year and it's in Europe because, you know, 
it's, it's, it's this is getting a little bit sentimental and patronising. I think talking about Nolan in this game, it's, it's lovely to see <laughs> at his age, nearly dead as he is. Just he's a few years older than me, and I'd I beg you quiet down a little bit on that. Um, <laughs> in terms of the actual game. I mean, you, you you had a lot of takeaways, Jack. I think the two of me and Callum are probably quite happy to just quietly sit and let you talk about this in a way. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you to leave off on Sonny Perkins and, you know, build to that excitement for you. Yeah. Um, but Sue found Johnson, and we talked a little bit about it City. It's probably better we start there having just spoken about it. What is it that he's offering at the moment that Johnson isn't? And what is it that was made that notable in that game? Briefly touched on it with City, but it's it's timing of forward runs. Johnson does run forward. He do, people people do claim that he doesn't offer anything going forward, which is completely inaccurate. He does, but what Soufal does uh, on a level that actually none of the other fullbacks in the squad do is identify situations uh, where the space is there, and then he really commits. There's nothing half-hearted about it when. Soufal goes he's happy to go right up onto the last line be the furthest forward in the whole team and to occupy spaces that make the opposition uncomfortable yes in some ways that makes us uncomfortable too because we've got this complete absence of presence at presence down the right because often when he spots those moments and it's helped massively by having an inside forward ahead of him is that the player ahead of him draws the opposition fullback inside and it creates this chasm of space and he goes. It does mean that we've got nothing back, but one of the things that he has that Johnson doesn't as well is the engine to be able to recover um, when he does go for that. So he's able to the, to make the run. He's also able to see sometimes when he's not getting the ball to be able to recover nice and quickly. And when he is going to get the ball, he's got quality in the final third. He is going to provide something. I mean, Frankly, he does it so often that we often look at him and go, uh, you know, he's had this moment where he's still on goal and he just doesn't look, looks like he doesn't know what to do and maybe he should shoot, maybe he should have passed, you know, maybe he should have put in a more accurate cross. But he's getting into those positions so regularly and that's about his commitment and his timing. And that is on a level that's well, well, well above Ben Johnson, regardless of how well Ben Johnson is doing. Does that affect, is that maybe affecting Bowen recently then? Bowen less balanced because he's not playing with Sue Fowl who dovetails with him? Entirely for for Suchek and Bowen. And this is why I called it a warm blanket earlier, because they shouldn't need that. You know, both of them should be able to operate without someone doing all of that legwork for them down the right side. Bowen should be able to be comfortable in creating chances himself and not needing someone to draw so much attention away from him. But when he's got it, brilliant. It means he's got that extra second, that extra option, that extra time on the ball because there's concern from the opposition players about what Soufal is doing. So, yeah, it affects the balance of the right side massively when he's not in there. I, again, I would say, though, Ben Johnson offers something different and has done really well at, at offering what he offers and deserves huge praise for that. But maybe it is time that Soufal gets a shot back in the first eleven. Well, it's it's all it's all well a good saying those things, but I can't. Have you got any numbers that back up his points, or, or should I just believe him? <laughs> uh, he's a very believable man, but I do actually have some numbers too. Um, yeah, so uh, no, yeah, noble first. Uh, I, I completely agree. It was a tour de force performance, um, and I think maybe the like you say the quality of the opposition and the pace of the match lended itself uh, to a noble performance but across this across uh, the season when he has when he has played he's averaged uh, 35 passes received 
uh, per 90. So that's that's basically how involved in the game he is. Uh, in against Vienna, uh, he received 70. So that's double basically. So he's essentially doing two man's two man's work in the middle of that park. Uh, and again, doubled his forward passing metric as well. So I think generally he does 17 point something forward passes per 90. Uh, and he made 35 against Vienna with eight above 80 percent. No, yeah, he's, he's basically Perlo. Um 80%, 80 percent accuracy on forward passes as well, which is great to see because I think uh, throughout his career he's often been labelled a sideways pass merchant or a, or a backwards pass merchant, whatever. Uh, and that performance, admittedly, against Vienna, uh, but it completely disproves disproves those claims, which is great because we always want to defend Mark Noble on this podcast. Um, and then. Name is tattooed on my arm after all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Sufa as well. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting debate and I think it's one that will hot up uh, going forward because he has essentially been kept out of the team by Johnson now. But um, I think, yeah, attacking wise, as you've rightly mentioned, he does just offer a lot more. His quality in the final third uh, is superior. And I think he had five progressive runs against Vienna. Um so carrying the ball up that right side with confidence uh, and six crosses. So it's not like he doesn't get there and then deliver. Like he's, he's getting into those, the numbers almost marry up perfectly, like five progressive runs and then six crosses. He's getting there and then he's putting a ball into the box and he's causing issues. He's creating chances, um, which like we've said, I think Johnson is great. Uh, he's really good defensively, but I just think in that final third, he doesn't offer as much. Uh, I don't feel as excited or or hopeful that we're going to create a chance when when I see it's Johnson there um, that, than I would with Sufal. Diop and Dawson together in this one, which different balance in the defence. Was there anything notable coming out of that game, Callum, or anything you saw, or just anything, not even just numbers, opinions on how those two played together and what that, how that affects the team having that Diop on the left side? Yeah, uh, I think they played well. Um Again, it has to come with the caveat of who they were playing against. I think you can't make too many judgments straight away, and and because they were playing against a simply lackluster team. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was good. Um, we saw the build up uh, from the back was a lot more fluent, having that balance right foot. Um, well, actually, both right footed, but one that is very comfortable, uh, comfortable and confident playing on that left side, as opposed to um, Zuma when we've seen him who just has to take a few more seconds to kind of make himself comfortable which which slows that whole build up and then you've invited the press in that time he's taking whereas Diop doesn't have to take that time he, he can get it out straight away uh, and then you can play through uh, and don't allow those bodies to come and harry you and, and re, uh, regain possession um, so yeah really good to see um, again as is always my gripes with these sort of setting back things is that rotation's great and it's really important but it's so impossible at the minute to build any sort of spine when when we don't know what our best option is at the minute and we're asking them all to play with each other um because i think one thing particularly with the when O'Connor's in the team is is that fluency and confidence around each other and confidence in in uh, the players that are surrounding them and sort of having that awareness of where everyone is usually and where you'd expect them to be if you're looking over your shoulder and sort of that again is all part of the build-up if if Ogbonna's in the team and he knows oh I'm going to turn around and he's going to be there and I can lay that off and, and we'll, we'll build up that's just not there when you have Zuma on that left side um, but yeah I, it was an impressive performance but I don't think they were really tested it, it just looked comfortable um, but yeah can't complain with that can you really 
your your notes on this, Jack, was more about a concern out of possession with the two of them, or at least with no, not more with Diop, what he might be doing out of possession. I think the debate's almost becoming quite simple, really, um, in the sense that Diop on the left gives you much more balance in possession and works against an opposition like Rapid Vienna um, and potentially some of the weaker opposition sides in the Premier League. Uh, you'd potentially want him in, in there to partner Zuma. The issue is, even against Rapid, uh, I think Diop had three or four missed pressures, which is where he's jumped, you know, running out of defence to, to chase something down and then not being successful and, and Rapid are able to turn and run in behind him. Problem was, is that Rapid shooting is like literally abysmal across both games. You know, we talked about it ages ago on one of the first podcasts about Rapid and Erkan Kara, you know, smashing the ball into Rose Ed from a, from a decent chance. And they were the same here again. So you get more balance on the ball with the up, but you get this kind of rashness and lack of balance that it creates in the defence out of possession, which with uh, Dawson and Zuma is, it's not that Dawson doesn't do that, but it's much more stable across 90 minutes and it's much more predictable. Um, so it allows for, for a much more kind of confident and um, comfortable uh, performance from the whole defence, which you see against Man City. Basically, the point I'm trying to make is when you know you're going to be dropping into a low block, you kind of want the balance that Dawson gives you in there. When you know you're going to be able to co- commit to playing higher up the pitch and pressing people and having a line that's maybe just just behind the halfway line, then you want the up. On terms of players that have maybe not impressed, but moments in Europa League that are working, Vlasic had maybe his best game this week. I mean, the assist for the goal, more energy. I know you're a fan, Callum. She must have been happier watching that. Yeah, it was great. I said in last week's pod that I wanted to see something from him and I wanted to see him given a chance. Uh, and yeah, he delivered. He got given his chance. Um, and I thought, yeah, definitely his best best performance in a West Ham shirt by far. Um, obviously, the the main talking point is the assist, which I thought was brilliant. Uh, a great, great cross. Um, and just a nice goal, really. The whole play, the whole build-up before it um, was good. Um yeah, really pleased. I thought he was good carrying the ball up the pitch when required. His passing was pretty tidy, um, and his yeah, his energy and involvement was just was just good. I thought he pressed pretty well as well, um, and seemed to fit into the team. He didn't look like this was like his first proper chance. If that makes sense, he's clearly been paying attention on the training ground and understands the role that is required of him and the, and the duties that 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 come with that role and what Moyes expects of him. Um, yeah, I didn't. I, there's nothing I could fault him for, really. Um, for me, I'm sure Jack maybe has some. What what, what caught opinions. your eye then, Jack? <laughs> well, no, I was going to ask. I was going to ask Carl something, which is more about. I, I, I'm starting to think when I'm watching Vlasic, and he seems to be playing on the left a lot. Is that one of mm-hmm. the things he's very good at is occupying good spaces. Um, and we're starting to see some fluency coming when he gets the ball. But one thing he's been quite consistent about, even when he's not played very well, is he's quite good at occupying really nice spaces that draw opponents towards him and create space in other areas around the box. Do you think that part of the reason why that's been, why he's had quite a lot of difficulty is with Cresswell playing at left back, Cresswell's not necessarily going to bomb on past him and exploit the spaces he's creating for other people. But here you see him at his best because he's got Masuaku at left back and Masuaku's much more willing to, to run into all that room that's created. And you saw the amount of crosses Masuaku had in the first half. And that's just about a left back, maybe committing a little more beyond him and obviating the things that Vlasic brings to the side. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it, 
it's something that yeah I've noticed and you're right to pick up on and I think it's why I'm hesitant to well obviously because it's ridiculous to throw the towel in on, on Vlasic so early on but um, I'm excited about what he could become when we eventually replace Cresswell with someone who is a bit younger and more energetic and brings the best out of him because we've seen glimpses of it and it's Masuaku. It's not like he's like, obviously he's attacking, but you'd think when we do replace Cresswell, we'll get someone who's a better option than Masuaku. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a, a bright future for Vlasic, I think. And he, he's shown that. Um, I still think I'd like to see him play centrally um, because that's where he has had his best performances um, in Moscow and um, has he's come out and said that's where he wants to play and that's that's his position and um, today we saw that that's a position that we need to strengthen basically depending on the system that we're going to play uh, and like you rightly pointed out earlier Jack, I think he's probably the obvious choice moving forward if we're going to play that 4-4-1-1 again um, and we've got nothing to lose in at least giving him a shot in there. Like we spent 30 mil on the geezer. Like he, yeah. he was the, he was the person we bought because we couldn't get Lingard who played that role. Um, and it's, it's bizarre to me that we've not done it yet. I'm sure we probably will see it at some point. Um, I just wish we'd try it sooner. <laughs> I just think, I think we're probably just looking for that fluency and possession to come. Right. I mean, as uh, he's occupying spaces really nicely and I'm glad that we're learning how to exploit that better. Um, and, and maybe we're not, maybe we just benefited from the fact that we're at the end of the Europa League campaign. We only need a point and therefore he's comfortable playing Masuaku at left back, but it's, it, yeah. it made it obvious what, what, what Vlasic can bring to the side, even when he's not at his most fluent in possession. Uh, and maybe when we see some of that fluency coming on the ball and we need to see it not, I mean, he'll Moyes, you know, has the kind of diligence to, and, and obsessiveness almost that he'll need to see it for Croatia as well. He won't, he won't be just interested in what he's seeing for West Ham versus his getting yeah. starts 60 minutes, 70 minutes for Croatia. And, and maybe when that fluency comes on the ball, then we'll start to see some of what he can really do from a central area. But for now, um, at least we've seen what he can offer from the left when partnered with the right people uh, around him. In terms of seeing what someone can offer, Jared Bowen as a striker, I've had, this is something I've been debating with people because I don't see him as someone who's a natural striker. I'm not a big fan of him playing up front. Uh, it's it's unfair maybe to judge him fully on this game because he was wasteful in front of goal, Jack. Yeah. His movement's quite good. Um, his finishing is not. <laughs> he strikes um, me as someone who doesn't have a relentless kind of selfish goal-scoring streak. I, I, I don't ruthless. think it might I wouldn't, be the ruthlessness is the issue, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got the kind of uh, drive to, I mean, the, the, the chance that uh, it didn't even get packaged in the highlights because Rapid had a player down for some reason and therefore it just didn't count as a highlight. But when he, Lovely running. When he goes past two or three and, and finds himself in that, in that central area, one-on-one with a keeper, that's, that is that desire to be the goal scorer. There's so many bodies he could have picked out for a pass, but he still wants to sort of take the ball himself, drive past two, and then and the, take the shot. And the problem is, is when he's getting to the shooting bit, consistently now for virtually all of this season, it's not it's not working in the way that you'd want it to. I, 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 I looked at some numbers because, you know, occasionally I do do that. And it was two games ago, before the Vienna game, he was on a goal every 0.07 shots and a goal every 0.17 shots on target. He's underperforming his XG by, at that point, it was 1.6. At Grad, that, those are, I presume, you know, numbers over time will change and he was above his XG last year and he was slightly better on both of those numbers as well. But 
there, there isn't you look at that and think that he you couldn't play him at the moment up front really Callum even though Antonio's not playing very well yeah no no you can't I mean just in that game he had an XG of 1.29 for one player that's like that we didn't get that as a team today and he and he failed to score so you can't obviously one performance you can't you, you can't make judgments but it's not just one performance it was the same against Wolves he had four shots only one of them found the target like it's it's just not a good enough finisher to play as a striker like you say his movement's okay he's getting in these positions he's getting these chances but you can't your starting striker needs to be able to put them chances away and he's yet to prove that. Um, I think my favourite example of it is, and a lot of people came out to defend him, which I understand, is is with the chance that seems most obvious that he should score where it drops to him right in front of the goal and the keeper's out of the equation and there's just one rapid defender on the line to beat. A lot of people came out and said, well, he's hit that, he's hit it well, what more can he do? A ruthless goal scorer hits that low doesn't hit it at the perfect height into the centre of the goal. A ruthless goal scorer picks out the corner or the top of the net. People Mm. who score all the time will finish chances like that. Bowen is not a striker and it's so, so obvious because when he's in that position, it's just like, let me hit the ball as hard as I can at the goal. It being on target is not the key thing. He needs to hit a corner, low, high, anything. You can't just smash it at a central height because that's the highest chance of someone being able to save it or block it not only that i suppose it's not because it's not it's not something he's going to thought of and it's, it's often it feels like it's overplayed with it's not thought i thought or where am i going to put it i'm just going to hit it hard it's an instinct thing is it? his instinct yeah. isn't to put the balls in those corners without even thinking about it i mean michael owen puts it in the corner i don't know because he was that kind of striker with robbie fowler probably as a same etc etc then a couple of blah blah he hasn't got that kind of instinctive goal scoring no. At least, and that could be form, and it, that could be rhythm, and that could just be you start scoring lots of goals, you learn, you suddenly have that instinct in you. But he doesn't seem to have it at the moment anyway. I think if there's one positive is that, you know, his volume of output is really exciting. The, the spaces he gets into, his running with the ball, all of that stuff is really, really exciting. His understanding of, of, of how to bend his runs and all of that stuff and get him behind as a striker, it, that's all good. Um, and, and that bodes well if he can if he can find that finishing touch. But as long as he doesn't have it, he's never going to be um, a top striker, at, at, certainly not at a Premier League level. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, that was the thing I was going to say about the, because the, it's a bizarre one because he's shown that he can score goals in the championship. Like he had a season, I think maybe two seasons with more than 20 goals yep. um, where he outperformed his XG. So in theory, he was actually finishing more than he, more than you would expect. So it's that it was there somewhere, but, Maybe that is just a case of level. and um... But also, Cal, isn't there a kind of finish that comes when you're a right winger and a kind of finish that comes when you're a striker? Yeah, yeah. He's, 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 yeah. yeah, he's out of the Iron Robin school of finishing, isn't he? Cut in. Exactly. And he has got a wand of a left foot when he does want to curl it. But yeah, the, it's when he's in front of the goal, bearing down on it. And he's, you can sort of just see the cogs turning in his head like, ah, what do I do here? I'm not used to being in this position. Whereas when he's out on the right and he cuts in, that is where it's instinctive. It, that's, where he, that's where he has played. That's where he feels most comfortable. It's where he's spent however many years as a player getting used to picking those positions up and, and putting it down on goal, but not in front of it yet. 
on another striker who did appear in that match, and I thought it was very, very fascinating listening at the end of the game, Carlton Cole, less than fluently explaining that they, they just... <laughs> I mean, to, to Carlton's credit, they kept interrupting him as if he was making a bad point and they just weren't waiting for him to finish his point. But he wasn't making it greatly. Um, Sonny Perkins, who has kind of stumbled into being a striker this season by the sounds of things. Impressive cameo, so very close with his header, Jack. Well, it kind of ties everything together really nicely, doesn't it? Because uh, on the one hand, his best chance comes from Soufal whipping in an absolute peach of a, of a cross. Um, and on the other hand, his... Uh, you know, when you look at someone and you say, that person looks like a striker, and then you look at Bowen and you think, it doesn't really... I'm not convinced by by this at all. Perkins came on and just everything he did looked like he, he was a very comfortable number nine. And that's what was surprising about hearing that Carlton Carl Cole saying afterwards that he's kind of stumbled into the role because all of the kind of basics of how you want to play that position, he had them down to a T. And it was mad to see a 17-year-old, even if he'd been a striker the whole time, to have such a depth of understanding. I mean, the thing I picked out was pressing angles. That That's a really complex job when you're a striker. You drive the press and there are angles of approach that encourage people to go down blind alleys, that encourage passes that people don't want to make, that encourage people to turn and face you. All of these things, all like absolutely perfect. The way he's bending his run to be able to press. I think I counted in, I mean, what was he on the pitch for 14, 15 minutes? Counted, I think, five presses that won the ball back from Perkins, which is a, just a humongous number for someone who's on the pitch for such a short space of time. And then his movement inside the box, his movement for the chance, the best chance he gets, and then his movement when Fornells fails to pick him out. Both really, really brilliant examples of, of, of finding himself in the perfect space in the box, unmarked. So I like really exciting cameo, I guess. To me, what I think shows that we were really comfortable in that game is that Fornells, the pass there were so many bodies in front of Perkins that the pass actually wasn't easy for Fornells to do. And he looked up as if he was like, I just want the young man to score. And, which, <laughs> yeah. isn't, which isn't really ruthless football. You know, we'd, we'd won the game by that point. We just figured, I don't really care about getting a third goal. I want this young man to get his maybe goal. Which is, oh, it's great to see. And I think everyone, every one of us, you know, fans, it's, it's almost like that Chester's performance in the Europa League where the game stopped being about what was happening and started being about where Chester's was and yeah. what the ball was doing around Chester's. And it became a little bit like that with Perkins. Thankfully, because it was a boring game, otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I think just to, just slightly to clarify what I'm saying, a lot of the time you see young strikers that have always been strikers burst onto the scene and chase the ball around like mad. That's not mm-hmm. what Perkins did. Perkins wasn't just running around, charging after the ball and therefore having a high volume of pressure force turnovers. Perkins was, there wasn't a lot of sprinting. It was all about his intelligence of how to approach situations that forced him. I suppose his commutable skill, which is. Yeah, it runs across levels. wouldn't have had with Odebeku, possibly so far, is that he he was someone who was too good for maybe and could score goals at the level he was at, but it's not something that looks like his possibly easy progression. Maybe Freddie Sears is another example. And I guess what you're saying with the Perkins pressing and the movement is, is that is transferable skills that carry on regardless because you have them down pat exactly if you if you press by charging charging around like completely recklessly against rapid vienna maybe you get a bunch of uh, pressure force turnovers and win the ball back a bunch of times but if you do that against man city they'll play right through you they won't be yeah. interested if you have the angles of approach down do it against rapid vienna or do it against man city you'll get the same result so we've got Two games coming up this week. There's no Europa, but that doesn't matter because we're in December. So the fixtures just don't 
stop. Um, Brighton and Brighton on Wednesday, Chelsea twelve thirty on the Saturday. We've mentioned the way Brighton play briefly before, but there's also going to be. I mean, Chelsea's main threat this season that's been standing out is their wing backs and their wing play, and we maybe just had issues out wide in the last few games, Jack. What are you what are you concerned about with Chelsea or actually both in particular in those areas, actually? Well, like you like you point to, it's just something thematic going on here in terms of playing Wolves, Man City, Brighton, Chelsea, all, all kind of in a row in the Premier League, that they all have huge threat from from wide areas. Um yeah, and if the if the Wolves performance is anything to go off, I would be kind of concerned about Brian's wing backs and, and the impact they could have on the game against us, particularly with the form Lamptey's in. I mean, this, this guy's just come back to not even full fitness and he absolutely tore Furpo and Leeds apart for 45 minutes. I would minutes. like to say, if there's, if there's one player I can think of, almost in the Premier League, who's like Junior Furpo, it must be Arthur Maswaku. They are <laughs> of, of one of a kin in a way. They seem to be two left-backs who don't really want to do any defending at left-back. So I would be slightly worried that Lamptey might come up against Maswaku. But yeah, you, you were kind of discussing that point of the wingbacks, the, the theme of what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a problem. We're struggling with it. And um, we've struggled to find an answer for now's at left wingback, Maswaku at left uh, midfield. It's it's what happens now. Where do we where do we go next? What's the next thing that we try to, to try and deal with this threat? And, and hopefully uh, Moyes can find something that... that um, might be more effective against Brighton. And in fact, mainly, I, I would kind of hope that we, we go back to focusing on our own chance creation. We're at home again now. Let's, let's go and play Brighton and play our own game and try and beat them. I know they're a very good side. I know they're in very good form. I know, I know they have a lot of issues with finishing. And if they didn't have those, they'd be higher up the, the table than they are. But um, they haven't won. What, I mean, what is it? I think it's eight games that they haven't uh, yeah. won now. So I would... I would be keen to really try and impose ourselves on this game rather than this kind of reactive approach of, of dealing with this problem that we're having in the wide zones. What, if I go predictions on these games, we talk about what's going ahead, Callum, are you right to start with positive, any sort of positivity? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, 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 I feel wrong saying it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to predict a 2-1 win. A 2-1 win. I... I will never, ever, and I've just, I will never, because of, and it seemed like it was always the only game I was ever, ever going to, almost like a Groundhog Day Chris Hutton experience. <laughs> <laughs> and in my mind, what's going to happen is Glenn Murray's going to score a winner they don't deserve after we've had 90% possession. Um, so I won't, I won't predict a win. I will, I, I'm in, I'll go for a, a, a 2-1 defeat. Somehow they'll get two goals. Um, yeah, I, I, honestly, there's no more depressing team in the league for me than Brighton. Well, you know how positive I usually am, but um, I'm actually with you here, Chris. <laughs> I, I have uh, when I, when I go to sleep at night, I, I just think of uh, Glenn Murray at the back post, I, I, and actually all of my kind of youthful uh, experiences of going to football away with West Ham. I remember going to Crystal Palace and being two 0 up, and Glenn Murray scoring a brace, and then drawing with us in the Championship, and then him haunting us when he went to Brighton, and uh, yeah, just with Brighton. I mean, I've had so many bad experiences. Now I spent my 18th birthday uh going to watch us play away at Brighton and losing and getting uh shat on by a seagull which I thought was just <laughs> too much really uh for me Four to handle um so yeah I I'm, I'd like to be positive but I'll, I'll sit on the fence and go for a draw I would say that's a seagull refusing to believe that you've had an 18th birthday if anything <laughs> <laughs> and then We've had Lukaku's had some minutes today. He'll probably get some minutes in midweek, just in time for his usual goal every season in the Premier League against West Ham every game, Callum. 
Yeah. Is, is the positivity lasting for you to that much? <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, I, not a win. I'd, I'm going to predict a loss. If it, again, feels wrong, but I'm going to go 2-1 loss this time. I don't think... I just don't think we can do it. I don't I think Arguably... I feel like they're the title winners this year at the moment. Possibly the best team just because their squad is absolutely ludicrous. Although City, when they purr, are the best team. So I, I'm expecting... I didn't, get, I didn't get my three or four nil battering today. So I'll go for a three or four nil battering next week at Chelsea. And I'll go to apparently at least 18-year-old Jack for some positivity. <laughs> what joy, guys. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to beat them. Um, yes, I'm, I'm quite confident. Uh, more confident about the Chelsea game than I am about the Brighton game. Um, yeah, I think. We'll, I think. We'll anyway, is there any reason for this confidence? Uh, I think that there's quite a lot going on there with injuries and integrating different players into the team. Chilwell's dropped out. Alonso's come in. Uh, Loftus Cheek is getting some minutes. So there's like, fitness concerns over Kante and um, uh, Kovacic. Uh, Sal's not really done the business since he's come in. Um, I. I think Reese James is doing a great job, but I don't know how uh, he can motor along with the kind of output he gives uh, and the effort that goes into getting up and down like that on the right side. His production can't stay like that if he's playing every game. There's no way that that's possible. So they're going to have to rotate at some point. I think the rotation might cause them some issues uh, in terms of fluency. Lukaku and Werner are coming back. How do they reintegrate? There's lots of questions for how Chelsea deal with this period. They're in a bit of flux. Um, and I think if we can really bed in and stabilise a 4-2-3-1 over the next two games at home and impose our style, similar to how we played against Liverpool, I would be confident. I'm sold. That, I mean, I, uh, there's, <laughs> there's logic and reasoning. I can't argue by now. It's certainly better than my, I just assume we'll lose to Brighton, so we're going to lose to Brighton prediction. <laughs> but, you know, bitter old men are as they are. Uh, before we go, then, we'll just quickly look at these transfer rumours it's cold it's been snowing that means the January transfer window is coming it's been strikers this week Callum yeah yeah there's lots of names popping up um some quite exciting ones some that I've talked about before uh on my page um so clearly they obviously follow me um, <laughs> um but yeah no it's good I think the main one that we've seen popping up this week is Arthur Cabral from Basel yeah. so um, those of you <laughs> that remember the last striker from Switzerland that we signed uh, don't worry because yeah literally the same club <laughs> um, but no I'm far more excited about this guy um, I think probably testament to, to his quality is that Barca are also showing an interest so it, it's clearly I, I don't think Barca would have been showing an interest in Albi and Ajeti, Um to be honest. So, yeah, it's well, exciting. I mean, look at Bar- had, looking at Barca now. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they, they've had a bad transfer record at times. I mean, I don't know. This is true. Um, but yeah, so Cabral, he's averaging more than a goal a game at the minute. Um, he's having four shots per game. So obviously very involved. Uh, nearly six touches in the box per 90, which is kind of what you want. Um, suits the mould, like we talked about on previous episodes. Uh, of the kind of striker that we want. Uh, he's just shy of 50% on his dribble success rate. So maybe we'd want slightly better there, but who knows? I'm sure he's still young. He can develop. Um, yeah, one for me is really exciting. And I think the only thing um, that people might query when you have a striker that's scoring 
or averaging more than a goal a game is sustainability and how sustainable that is. But he's uh, he's not like massively outperforming his XG, which is like 0.93, I think, per 90. So he's scoring the chances that he's being given. Um, and it, it's not it's not like his XG is half of his goals and then you'd sign him and see it drop off a cliff and, and we've not actually signed the 20-goal season striker that we thought we had. Um, so yeah, it gets the seal of approval from me. Um, I, I'd be very excited if he arrived. In layman's terms, Cal, um, yeah. what kind of striker is he? Is he an Andy Carroll? Is he a Joe <laughs> Linton? Is he a Callum Wilson? Is, you know, what 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 kind of striker? Is he a Newcastle striker? Is this your? Yeah, I don't know what happened. Is he an Andy Cole? Is he a Les Ferdinand? Is he a This is this is where the analytics department is. is Denver Bar, Cal. Yeah, no, this is rolling them all off. Luke De Jong, maybe. God no. He's not a De Jong. He's not a De Jong. Um, it's tricky to say, man, because the few times I've seen him, I've, I've not watched masses of him, to be honest. Um, but each time I've seen him, it's kind of he's, he's shone in a different way, if that makes sense. So one game, he scored an absolute screamer from outside the box. So he's he's got a laser of a, of a boot on him. Um, other games, I just saw him absolutely bustling defenders, literally in the six-yard box. And that was pretty much where he just lived for the game. Um he looks one thing that did stand out. I remember is on a corner. He was, which kind of reminded me of Antonio. He was basically just pestering the keeper, uh, and they scored from the corner. So you can kind of just see him like superimposed into our setup already. Like, oh, he'll just do all the all the jobs that we asked Antonio to do. Um, but fin- fin- like lethal finishers is, is the is the main takeaway. I would say is that he's just very good at occupying positions and very very composed in front of goal. And, quite and physically imposing, isn't he? Yeah, he's six foot one, uh, so he's not the tallest of the strikers we've been linked with, but he's he's very um uses his body really well. Yeah, that's it. But bullish, I guess, is the word. Like um charges around and leans into people, uses his shoulders quite a lot. His upper body strength is very good. Uh, I think if you watched Bellotti at the Euros and enjoy, enjoyed what you saw, I think you there's there's something similar yeah. about the way that Cabral gets in and, and shoves people off the ball. Um, definitely, definitely. Him as more, more Mick Quinn than Papa C say that Mick Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> so do you so do you two know what your strikers have been getting up to in the week between the last time <laughs> we recommended people to I mean up? I know I know you how's, how's Belotti and getting I know on? you, you would have them up I think it's good to see in this new environment of age that we're now going to be wind farming. So that's... I can't cut off my Bebu hat trick moment. I've got a pun to make. So your Bebu hat trick is not important. Credit, yeah, credit to Jack. Bebu did bag a hat trick uh, this weekend. So he wins. Uh, my man is still recovering from a cruciate ligament tear. So uh, he didn't really get up to much, I should think. I've not been watching a lot of Bellotti, so I <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say I've got no puns for him, but clearly I do have something awful. Um, I think I should end on that note because otherwise we're just going to be reading off me finding names on the internet I can make jokes about. <laughs> um, another a good one, boys. We'll be back again after Brighton and Chelsea games, hopefully with some points in the bag. You never know. Uh, but until next time, thank you, Callum. Thank you, Jack. Uh, good night. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late, late show with the host of a late, late show. James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's right. excitement surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at K.
kumb.com. Come on, you irons.